0: Hi, and welcome to Make It Make Sense with Sreka Thaneidra Dharaman, a podcast that aims to demystify the less-than-transparent publishing industry by talking to authors from historically underrepresented backgrounds. I believe that the more we make sense of how things work on the inside, the less we feel as though we're on the outside because learning from other authors, editors and agents that have made sense of their journeys should hopefully inspire many more to embark on their very own. Each week, I'll be asking a new interviewee the things they've made sense of in their careers, as well as anything they'd like to make sense of for fellow writers. Today's guest is Tallulah Lyons, Assistant Editor at Murky Books, Murky is an award-winning imprint launched in 2018 by Stormzy and Penguin Random House UK. It's a fantastic imprint that already boasts an enviable list of non-fiction and fiction titles with Keisha the Sket by Jade LB, We Are All Birds of Uganda by Hafsa Zayan, winner of the inaugural Murky Books New Writers Prize set up in 2019. And tomorrow, Murky will be publishing BAFTA award-winning Children's Laureate and most recently, 2022 Pen Pinter Prize winner, Mallory Blackman's autobiography, My Life in Words. Talula and I speak about publishing imprints and their structure and something that might be of interest to all authors, what goes on in acquisition meetings. I realised I'd never asked any of our guests to break it down for me like Tallulah has. We also speak about one of the most interesting topics for me and that is how many people and departments it takes to get a book across the line to be published and what happens if the team likes a book but doesn't necessarily love it. I hope this episode brings a lot more insight as Tallulah so kindly helped explain things that we don't often have insight into. Hi Tallulah and welcome to Make It Make Sense. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, I always start the podcast with the same question, which is what did you want to be when you were younger? What did I want to be?
1: Um, I feel like... Like most young children, I wanted to be a dancer, a ballet dancer when I was about six um, and then quickly realised that that was not really my forte. Um, so then um, when I was at school, I was reset from being a neuroscientist or a brain scientist, um, did the triple sciences and everything. And then my form tutor said, Talila, in the nicest possible way, I think you're too cold, not too warm to be a surgeon, not a scientist, really. I wanted to be a surgeon. Um, and they said, y- you are like too much of a people person and like a personal person You sit in a surgery and like sit in a waiting like, not yeah. a waiting room, but you know, Operation like, operational room <laughs> for hours a day. Yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, fine. I'll be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and so that was my, I think at that, point, that was your next logical leap. Yeah. I think at that point I was chasing the money, um, <laughs> okay. but I'm now in publishing. Um, but I was, um, then doing work experience in law firms throughout school in sixth form. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so boring, Um, which (laughs) was like money versus enjoyment. (laughs) Um, So then at sixth form and during my A-levels, I actually switched my A-levels right at the last minute. So after my first year to do an English uh, literature, I was doing English language before. Mm -hmm. I did two years of an A-level in one year and I applied to do English at uni. Not really knowing what I wanted to do, but I thought that would be, I was, I enjoyed English a lot at school. Um, mm. I knew that I wanted to do it further. Um, so yeah, a real roller coaster. Yeah, but
0: also interesting that you had really clear things from the start to step into and try and mm-hmm. then diverted until now you're in publishing, which you say is ironic because it's not about chasing the money, but it's definitely <laughs> a people centered role. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Murky Books, uh, which is where your role is as an assistant editor and on um, the website, Murky describes itself as a imprint that has clear ambition to publish books that will own and change the mainstream. We are home to bold voices from untraditional spaces that are inclusive and intersectional which I think is such a good uh, description of what Murky stands for. Can you tell us a little bit about how Murky
1: began and uh, really what the space is like to yeah, work Yeah, sure. In? Um, so we were set up in 2018 um, with Stormzy and Penguin Random House. Um, and we had like a big opening event at the Barbican. Um, and we're quite a small team so it's just two of us um myself and my colleague Lamara Lindsay Prince and I joined the imprint in October 2020 so like in the height of the pandemic mm-hmm. um, and I think I really like working for Maggie Books I think the my values and the imprint's values really align and I think it's really great to have kind of a specific imprint to kind of really um develop and show voices that are kind of forgotten in the publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are seeing more widely, more uh, a little bit of change and a little bit of progress, slowly, but it's happening. Um, but I think I'm really enjoying working for an imprint, where that's like kind of the sole focus. You, was that your first role in publishing with Herky? It, was, it wasn't. So I joined um, the actual the audiobooks team um, in 2018. Um, I joined by the scheme, which mm-hmm. is... The Penguin kind of graduate program um, to kind of get people into entry level roles, um, and I listened to audiobooks. I didn't know much about audiobooks at all, but like it was a great starting point for my career because we were casting audiobooks from across the division. So like reading really really widely. so when thinking about print publications I knew kind of where I wanted mm. to go what I resonated more with um so yeah it was great and also great to meet lots of people um just because the nature of my job was meeting people from Penguin General or Transworld mm-hmm. or Cornerstone so yeah there was lots of networking like, kind of happening at the same time. Did that help you step into Murky
0: the networking or was it that you saw the role advertised and you knew by what the vision was of the imprint that that's where you wanted to try and place yourself
1: i think i always knew although i loved audio print books was going to be my ultimate mm-hmm. destination that's kind of what i wanted to do um, but had quite specific remits for where i wanted to be and so i was always kept an eye on what murky books were doing because mm-hmm. i thought they were really cool um, and so then i managed to kind of um just take over the murky books audiobook recording just as a way to be like if there was ever a job coming up at murky books this mm-hmm. would be great to kind of like have some experience and i remember i met lamara at the beginning of 2019 or just a year before so i kind of we met once and then um when the job came up i just jumped at it and i was like this is my chance um a yeah can you tell us then a little about your role
0: as an assistant editor at murky
1: um so yeah, my role is assistant editor, but um, there's a, as I think I've mentioned, there are two people in the team. So I both support our senior commissioning editor on her publications and also our, pub- our publisher um, a little bit on her books. And then I also acquire my own front list titles, um, which is really exciting. And it's a bit I think I like best. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really exciting, very dynamic, very moot, like changes all the time. Um, yeah.
0: Mm. And you've worked in the audiobooks uh, team that you were in was that a larger team is it a big difference working in a smaller environment more intimate environment?
1: So there, are, there are actually quite a few similarities I think between audiobooks and murky. I'm only saying this because when I first joined audio my immediate team was three people uh-huh. um, and it was at a time when audiobooks kind of booming and so the top people the top managers were kind of like growing the audiobook scene. team. So the time I left it was a way bigger team than when I started mm-hmm. um so they both had quite start y kind mm-hmm. of feels which I quite enjoyed.
0: Yeah, yeah. and you said that your one of your favorite parts is acquiring your own titles is that something you did early on from your role or did it take a bit of time to get into that?
1: I think it was about 10-11 months into mm-hmm. the role um just because we are trying to kind of grow the fiction list at Murky Books. Um, and Lamara is better at working and acquiring nonfiction, or that's where her interests kind of lie. And I didn't really read nonfiction. I've always wanted to acquire fiction. So it kind of made sense for us to kind of split it out that mm. way. Um, we, we can both kind of acquire nonfiction or fiction, but just it just tends to be that kind of split.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you say it was ten or eleven months in, was it something that you put your
1: hand up and said you want to start, or how did that come about? I think it was just pure necessity, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was just we had lots of submissions and they were just mm. coming in, and I was just I'm I don't think sounds very pretentious, but I'm quite a quick reader. I think mm. I've always been a reader since a child, so I could just get through them really quickly. And then I just found a couple that I like fell in love with, um, mm-hmm. and then they were like can we push them forward and they were like sure go for it so kind of this was serendipitous how it happened oh that's good um
0: i want to also understand murky in terms of an imprint sitting under penguin house because penguin random house because there's a few imprints that sit um underneath that big umbrella Mm -hmm. um Can you help us understand how it sits amongst those imprints and what it means because you're a small team within Murky but actually when you look at your sales and marketing that's not coming just from Murky, it comes from Penguin Random House. So could you explain just in general imprints and how they kind of are structured?
1: Yeah I think maybe the easiest way to say this is there are eight mini publishing houses that make up Penguin Random House. So Mm -hmm. If we think about paying a Random House, it's like an umbrella, and then underneath that you've got eight different houses, and then within those eight houses, you have lists, so they're imprints, basically. Um, and an imprint really is just another way of having a focus of what that book, what that list will publish and what types of books they publish. So we sit within a cornerstone, um, which is both split into uh, really commercial fiction, so the publishers of Fifty Shades of Grey um, and James Patterson but we also have a more cornerstone literary arm um, which publishes Ikigai or Atomic Habits or Taylor Jenkins Reid um, and Murky Books kind of fits in more with the cornerstone literary team um, mm-hmm. and that's headed up by Ed Conford who's the publisher. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah so we are quite lucky because I know that I'm biased but everybody in the, across the division is amazing but we work Closely with a team in the cornerstone literary corner, and the breadth of knowledge from all those editors mm. are just incredible. And we've got like three amazing fiction editors, and just for me, kind of learning from them and just having conversations with them um, is actually really helping, I think, help shape Murky. Um, mm. Although we have our unique identity, we can just draw upon knowledge. Um, and again, like marketing and publicity. I mean, they're incredible. They just do so much and they just work on so many books and so creative. So, yeah, I think it it helps definitely to have a wider scope mm. for people to work with. And marketing and publicity then
0: is for all of
1: those eight mini-publishing mm-hmm. houses and so... Oh, no, sorry. So every publishing house had their own marketing and publicity team. So the cornerstone will have that specific marketers and publicists within the division
0: yeah okay and so when you say you're learning off each other does that mean that say a submission that comes into cornerstone you
1: are able to also read and um... yes yeah, so an editor can, an agent can only submit to one editor in a division mm-hmm. um but if somebody gets it in reads it then we might think oh this is better suited for a different imprint and then going deeper a different editor depending on their personal preference mm-hmm. um so get very collaborative in that way
0: that's nice i i didn't realize that you do get to share knowledge between because that that i guess is what makes it then even better that you're in an intimate team but you also have um collaborators around you um When you say you are more geared towards fiction, what do you look for in the stories or authors you choose to represent? Do you always know, or is there something in the ride? Are you looking at something in particular? What is it, is it a
1: gut feeling? Um, I remember actually asking my mentors and people above me, like, what do I need to look for? Like, what happens? And they, they all say it's a gut feeling that you have, you just know. Um, it's something to do with the writing and kind of t- I think you can't teach somebody to write either someone can write or they can't write um, so if the writing is good is then looking at the tone um, do you like the tone is it kind of like something you're not going to get annoyed with or can they, they can continue it the whole way through and me personally I'm drawn to kind of plot-led novels or like really strong characters um, that's what I'm really into. There's kind of books that you kind of you can't keep, he- can't help but keep turning the page like, mm-hmm. until you finish it. Basically, um, um, and just like beautiful, beautiful st- stories. But, like, yeah, just <sighs> great books. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that would <laughs>
0: that would be a good start. A great book. <laughs> no, but it's good to also know there's uh, there's a sense of gut instinct about it because I guess it's not formulaic at
1: all. No, and I think now that I've actually seen or I'm in the process of seeing a few books through to publication, I think just knowing how difficult it is. As an editor, you're the main champion mm-hmm. of the book. So you really need to love the book at every single point of the journey because otherwise it's only you huge in it. You need mm-hmm. to convince the wider team, booksellers, readers, this is the book they have to pick up. So if you have like a, even a little bit of doubt in the book that you're about to put through or looking at, it's probably not the right, the right one because it's so important to really see the vision for the whole publication.
0: Hmm. And also see the vision. It's interesting when you put it that way because it's not just that you've read a great book and you want to take it through to acquisitions but also you then have to presumably work on that book. I'm assuming books that come in aren't just done and, you know, you're moving on to the next step. So I guess that's just important because you're
1: then working with authors to edit and rewrite. Think- parts yeah and I think it's so important for the editor and author to kind of share the same vision um because I always think that like editors are kind of just nurturing and kind of shaping the book in terms of what the author what is the it's the author's baby right so you're very Mm -hmm. aware that you're not trying to change it into a dramatically different book because if you are you're not the right editor for it and you're not seeing the the what the the benefit of it is um so you're really working with the author to kind of just like make it the best version of the book that it can be mm-hmm. um, I think that's why it's so important to have that synergy and to have the visions perfectly aligned um in that whole process I guess you're not too far along in that
0: process but maybe from your mentors is this ever a discussion of when there isn't an alignment what happens or how that gets kind of worked through
1: I think, I guess just like you just hear stories of people, you know, buying a book off the premise of one thing and then down the line the author changes their mind or isn't quite agreeable to kind of the edits. And I think that's quite tricky then mm. because you've kind of paid for I think it happens actually more with non fiction, um because particularly with nonfiction, you'll buy off a proposal often and maybe a few sample chapters. Um so there really is scope to kind of change mm. the whole direction of the book whereas in fiction you're normally buying the whole book so you have an idea and I don't I've not really heard massively of authors making like super super dramatic changes after the book's bought obviously sometimes and if they are I think it's always in conversation beforehand it would be like kind of from both people but I haven't heard any stories of people just going off piece. and more not more with non-fiction I,
0: know. I Okay, and in terms of changes that can be made, when you say not big changes, for me, when I think of changes that are big, I would think things like removing characters or... um, uh plot devices or whatever it is but those are normal things that would be asked to be changed right like Mm -hmm. that's that's not considered such a big change and most um edits would go through something similar which is something i didn't realize right at the start you you know you know that when you start to query then agents are going to look at it and change then editors might but you don't realize that dropping a character or adding a character that's quite a normal in in a sense a normal change to 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 implement?
1: Yeah, and actually, so this is a bit of a side to her, but I'm answering a question in a roundabout way, but we had- I don't think I asked a question. No. I said, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I think, because Jamie Jackson, who's the author of Pineapple Street, came into the offices last week, and she is an American editor, but now author, and she was talking about the editing process, and she was saying, when she asks her author to like make these minor changes, as mm-hmm. in remove a character or just, you know, put one in, like an editor it's like it's considered just like a normal thing but and when she had to then be the writer she was like what do you mean i have to take out the whole like character or like you know change the whole thing um so that was quite interesting to hear someone who's been in both shoes yeah um, and how that feels so yeah no but yeah. it
0: is good to know that that's considered minor and you know it's it's i guess within when you're writing then it feels like a big change but it's also good to know that that isn't necessarily the way to look at it. That might be, yeah. yeah. Um, is there before we move on to your three things? Because I think I really want to take some time into your three points because um, they're super interesting to me. Um, is there something that you've uh, learned from the process with your authors that you with the books that you've seen through to publication at the moment that you didn't ex- expect or that you were surprised by? I think
1: it's still how collaborative um, the process is and how you some people think of the role of the editor to come in and kind of like completely red pen everything. Mm-hmm. But then I think it's also like good for when the author kind of pushes back and then can provide kind of justification where they are pushing back on keeping certain things. And sometimes it's just like, okay, your reasoning is really clear why you want X, Y, and Z in the mm-hmm. book. But it's not the actual... Like It's not quite coming across in a way that you're envisioning it. How do we get your reasoning in there but with making some changes to kind of make it a bit clearer? Mm-hmm. Um, that's been quite an interesting learning process. Okay. And
0: is your process of editing, is that how you expected it to be when
1: you've started um, working in on books? Again, I was just like, that's searching for like a 101 on how to edit and there just isn't one. Mm. Um, I think just... I kind of have a three-step process about first time kind of reading it as the reader I'd always make notes of things that stick out to me that kind of feels a bit jarring or Mm. I pause on um and then we do a bit of a structural edit kind of moving like time periods around or characters or just Mm -hmm. you know really getting structure of the edit and then we do a line edit which is a lot closer looking at like kind of line by line making sure that every word that we're using is the right one or the, the tenses or something anything like that so mm. yeah
0: okay great okay then let's move on to your three things um your first one was uh, about a career progression as an assistant editor where you need to be doing several roles at the same time before anything changes
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> this I'm, I'm sure lots of people as an assistant editor Uh, or even anyone really at a junior editorial role can relate to. Um, Publishing teams aren't huge teams. I'd always like them to be bigger because I feel like they've always got so much work to do. Um, But progression, I think, notoriously quite slow in publishing. Um, Which I think you sign up for to an extent because you kind of know what to expect. It doesn't prepare you for the reality of what it's like. Um, But you're always having to... Kind of do the role above you to kind of prove that you're ready to do the role. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right now, I would say that I'm kind of doing three roles mm-hmm. being a bit of an editorial assistant in terms of just like doing the admin and like PLs and contracts for books. Um, my role, which is just an amalgamation of, I mean, I don't know what my role is, but you know, it's just an editor and then also an editor in terms of just kind of acquiring books and going to meet agents and doing negotiations. Um, so yeah, it's busy, but I think it's not unique for market books, I mm. think it's across the board, everyone is in the similar boat. Mm. And I think that's
0: why you notice that people switch around to different imprints and publishing houses is maybe to, maybe there is a role they're looking at, but to that that progression is not as fast as they like. And there's another position in another house that they yeah. can apply.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes people kind of, um, there's, I think sometimes you get counter offers if you move about or you can, mm. if you're going somewhere new for the first time, you can apply for the role above you because your current experience kind of allows you and opens yourself up to that. So,
0: mm-hmm. The next thing you wanted to make sense of was that it's not one person's final decision to publish a book or not. But before we go into that, I think I've never asked this of an editor on the podcast, but could you treat me as a layman and layperson and tell me what happens from when you like a submission to the next steps and the conversations and then into acquisitions? Because I think I know what that looks like, but I don't think everyone knows what that looks like.
1: Of course. Um, so, a agent will send you a submission. Um, And as an editor, you're kind of getting loads of these, but sometimes you find one which you're like, great, this is the one that I really like. Um, And at least in Cornerstone, we have a weekly editorial meeting, which will happen on the Monday. And each editor will kind of bring their projects to editorial meeting. And this meeting is just the editorial team, like no sales, no marketing, no nothing. Um, And it's really a space to kind of like soundboard the idea um see people would have read it over the weekend beforehand um discuss kind of how strong the proposition is um if there are any obvious kind of like problems with it and what kind of what we can do are they fixable or are they kind of unworkable um, And i think also trying to preempt any possible questions in the bigger acquisitions meetings and kind of like strategize the best way to kind of communicate the projects into the bigger meetings um then we'll go away and sometimes you'll meet the author before acquisitions, um, which is always quite fun, or sometimes you do it afterwards, but then it goes to our big acquisitions meeting. Um, and in there is our MD, um, our head of sales, head of marketing, head of publicity, and all the kind of like um, team members and all of the editorial colleagues as well. And you have some time as an editor to like pitch your book to the whole division, basically. Um, and in that meeting, you're kind of giving a brief plot overview, although you are assuming that everyone's kind of read the book, so kind of knows what's going on. Um, where you would see it sitting in the market. So, the kind of possible comp titles is it literary? Is it commercial? Kind of where would it sit against? Um, if it would be hardback or paperback, um, a kind of a price point um what time of year it will be published like how far away are we going to be publishing it um and kind of like a rough it's not necessary to have this like nailed down at this point but kind of a rough vision for the cover I guess or kind of like what it will look like um so it's quite a lot so you're kind of coming with all of your Mm. armor like to kind of pitch this book um and then people discuss it in that meeting and say B or a to the book. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I think that leads really well into your second point, which it's not one person's decision. Um, so what are the conversations? What is being spoken about in those meetings? And
1: how many people are pitching in those meetings also out of curiosity? So it, it depends. So sometimes we can have like three new proposals and sometimes we have 10. So it really huh. depends. So it's like quite like a speedy, like- And everyone's just read that over the weekend, like 10 books. So people will like split out. Um, not everyone will read, will read everything, but like marketing and publicity, for example, they'll allocate books based on um like preference or experience or knowledge. So you might get somebody who's really into commercial feeding, reading more the commercial fiction proposals. But we are encouraged to read everything. Um, but obviously sometimes it's not mm. humanly possible. Um, but yeah, in those meetings, what's being discussed? So. From like a sales perspective it's thinking okay how commercial is it um how new or like fresh is it or how unique is it like is it going to be because I think we use comps which are both a good thing and a bad thing I think comps are helpful in the sense that it can kind of help the whole team kind of see where it will fit in the market but also if it is a slightly new book that hasn't really been done before it's difficult if there's no existing comps mm-hmm. uh, so they're kind of there to kind of provide guidance on when best to publish it in the year price point that kind of thing um and then marketing and publicity are kind of feeding in about um how marketable is it so is it an interesting enough story um, how would we reach the readers what readers will be will we be reaching um and then publicity are thinking kind of about i guess, I guess the story behind the book and they're pitching to kind of all the free media, so radio, TV, newspapers. Um, so thinking, is there anything interesting or unique that they can pitch into those, those places? And so in terms of that
0: acquisition meeting, is it then that all departments would have to say it's a clear yes or is there times when marketing thinks it's a fit but
1: sales doesn't? Is it, yeah, is it a mix? It's a real mix, I guess. Um to an extent, the MD has quite a big say because she's always really interested in how how we would publish it and kind mm-hmm. of like the strategy behind that. Um, and sometimes everyone likes it and everyone enjoys the read, but not anyone loves it, mm-hmm. um, which is really difficult when that happens because nothing is wrong with the book; it's just not got the it's not got the the buzz that tips it over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still so yet work out like how to actually quantify that and what to call it but um yeah that's a shame when that when that happened with books
0: yeah for instance is there points where books are of interest they're not picked up and you go back and ask authors to re-edit or you want them to look at
1: the story again what's the process or do you just let it go so I think um that actually can happen and that's how the situationship we was doing in August kind of came about um so there is points where people like the book enough to kind of think okay speak to the author and speak to the agent um and see if they're open to making the work make doing the work basically that will potentially bring it over the edge um so whether that's kind of like rethinking the central plot line or mm. tweaking some of the characters or kind of like refocusing what the hook is going to be um because that's quite important for like kind of commercial collections getting that hook really right and making mm-hmm. it, it getting thinking why the reader would pick up this book a and then b continue reading like what's mm-hmm. the draw for this book um but it obviously is a bit of a gamble because not always do authors and agents want to like ask the authors to write, to do the changes, because again, there's actually no guarantee that the book is gonna make it through the acquisition process the second time round. Um, obviously, and I think for that to happen, there needs to be kind of a substantial difference in the two books that are being read to kind of really push that over the edge. Um, but then, you know, it might also happen that the agents had other interest by other editors who might have had a completely different vision for the book and their team had kind of no pushback and think, okay, we know what we're going to do with this and then I'll we'll take it in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Okay. And that just triggered something else in my head. Uh, if, if when you're looking at a submission and an agent's come through and said that um, there's other publishers that are interested and it's either going to be preempted or it's going to auction, does that change that conversation in acquisitions or is it really based on like, is there a kind of, you know, rustling of, okay, other people are interested or other imprints or houses are interested? Does that have any effect or it really is that everyone has to be on board in the same way that if there wasn't that kind of rush or urgency?
1: Um, I think, People will, people will maybe look at it in like a slightly different light and be like, okay, what what is there in this book that other people mm. are really seeing? Um, but I do think that for an order to book, and I think I'm learning this, but for a book to be successful, the whole team needs to get on board and kind of see the whole vision and really, fully really understand um, the book and what it's trying to do. Um, so sometimes if a book is preempted or like, you know, it's bought by somebody else, it's not, although it's sad, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it means that that editor and that team have just had can see the vision for what they're trying to do with the book. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But let's
0: move on to your uh, final thing that you wanted to make sense of. And in general, we've kind of touched on it, but the, the team effort that it takes to then from acquisition to sell a book.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm going to go straight, going to go right back to the beginning of this because I remember thinking that books took a really long time to put through, but now I'm saying they they take a really long time to put through. (laughs) I actually actually think sometimes uh, it's better to have too much time than not enough time because Mm -hmm. I think you can allow at least nine months for the edit process just because most authors actually do have full-time jobs, so this is not their main income stream. Um, and I think you can't rush and edit or you don't really want to rush and edit so where possible I think allow enough time and then from that point you basically want to be scheduling a book at least a year in advance from when it first comes in which I know sounds like an obscene amount of time Mm -hmm. but actually so much kind of happens behind the scenes in that year year. Um, so the earlier we have kind of a finished text the earlier we can get proofs so like advanced copies of like uncorrected proofs to kind of send out to authors for quotes um, the earlier we can kind of start pitching authors for events or you know long leads and newspapers mm-hmm. and I just think our marketing and publicity teams like work on so many books so the more time and the less mm-hmm. rushed that we are I think um the better success the book has in doing. and I think that kind of feeds in of saying that um it does take a team effort. It's like a village to raise a family, like to raise a baby, that saying. But just like it needs everybody on board from the very beginning to like mm. birth this book basically. Um yeah. particularly with a debut author. Um, unless the author is like supremely connected in terms of like the literary world, it takes time to kind of build her build, build their profile or kind of just like get people really interested and, and, and invested in the book that is coming out
0: Mm. I did want to say that I really love the covers of murky books I think all the covers that I see are so I don't know what yeah I just saw the cover for situationship in the book I don't know if that's a cover or the proof that's a proof cover
1: I have to give a shout out to Becca Wright who designs our proof covers because she's amazing um yeah incredible and then our normal book covers are just our in-house designers who are and again, work across the whole division. But um,
0: okay, it's great. Is it is it on the back that there's a checklist? checklist. As well? Yeah, yeah. That was so good because I knew what a situation. Sh- I don't know that I totally knew what a situation ship was, and then when I saw it, it's like okay, I get it. Yeah. I mean I no. don't get
1: it, but I get it. I was um, in a situation ship as I was editing the whole book. Oh. It's like this Perfect. is writing to my soul. <laughs> this is meta. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Taylor, this is wrestling my life story. Right <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so it's auto fiction of the editor that she worked with rather <laughs> yeah. than herself. Yes.
0: Our both combined lived <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited about that one coming out. When is that? next august next august feels really uh against the grain to have such a long lead time of people reading the book talking about it but that's so common in publishing i understand it but what is why why do proofs get sent out so far in advance and there's talk about it but rather than having like a short burst before the launch where people are then is there a re- i know it's also for the
1: bookstores and for sales but is there another yeah. reason i think i mean i always think back that- to Queenie by Candice Carty Williams because I feel like that was excellent marketing um, from their side but I think you knew about this book for so long and they kind of did it in a way that the proofs were you could get them if you knew people but they were kind of exclusive so you're just really looking forward to whenever it came out and I think it's kind of like that drip feeding that slow information just just to kind of like keep people interested because I think we don't realise how many books are published, like, every year. There's so many books, so many publishing houses. Um, so trying to, like, keep the, I guess, attention, the kind of movement on a particular book to kind mm-hmm. of and also drive pre-orders as well yeah. because pre-orders are so instrumental to kind of first week sales and just the overall success of the book. So if you can kind of amass a couple of 100 pre-orders, like, throughout the year, you're really doing well for like the first
0: week in publication. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I had read Mame because Jess was coming on the podcast and I realised then how it works because I've not stopped talking about Mame to people. So then I can't wait. Like I've pre-ordered for Three Friends and I think nearly everyone I speak to about books knows about it. So, mm. yeah, it it, it totally actually makes sense but it's interesting that it's such a long lead time
1: yeah um I think it's just that word of mouth but what we want Yeah. yeah
0: yeah I wanted to ask and I know this is not really something that we could maybe be as transparent about but maybe from your perspective what counts for you as an editor of a published book as a successful book the the fact that it's published the the readership it garners the what what
1: for you is one of what a couple of the priorities it's gonna sound so soppy but i think when an author is happy and oh really that is proud, so soppy that's so <laughs> yeah. nice but i think that's what it's all about right like yeah i've been writing this book for so long and um if they're really proud and really happy about yeah. them then I think we've done our job right and then kind of following from that when they find when the book finds readerships and readers that really relate or mm. kind of really I don't know resonate with the book it's like a perfect synergy I mm. think um, obviously big sales and bestseller lists are great and really you know in their own right but yeah I think on a smaller level I think they happy readers yeah
0: are there any challenges that you come across uh, in your role as
1: assistant editor? I would say one thing that I've come across recently is lack of experience kind of working against you um, in the sense that you're up against auctions sometimes with kind of publishers or publishing directors or commissioning editors and They, of course, have a more established list um, and have been doing this for far longer than you have. So I think if you're an author and you obviously want to find the best home, you might be swayed to kind of work with someone who has more experience. Mm -hmm. Um, But everyone that I have spoken to about this and kind of been like, oh no, what's happening, Um, have been very nice and been like, well, you can actually, as a junior editor, Offer authors time and your research, your resource, mm-hmm. because you have kind of like so start building your list and you are at the bottom. At the bottom. <laughs> um, you have almost more to prove or feel like you have more to prove. So therefore, you really want to invest as much as you can to kind of like help these authors. These authors mm-hmm. also help you at the same time. Um, not to say that people more senior don't spend time, but I think you're, they've just got far more books to work on, far more mm-hmm. authors. Or as at the beginning, we're kind of really building that list up. So
0: mm-hmm. it's really so warming as well to see. I think you can tell with you, you really are about the story and the book and championing that. And uh, I think that's a great thing to find in an editor. So I'm sure all the authors that you have are super lucky to have you. Thank you.
1: That's very kind.
0: <laughs> um, the last question that I wanted to end on was what is your favourite thing about being an editor or assistant editor?
1: So my favourite thing, I think, without a doubt, is that moment in the editing process when things just click and fall into place and you both turn to each other and you're like, yes, <laughs> that is it. And it's just like that amazing moment like, okay, cool, we've got it and this is where we are. So, yeah, yeah. that's my favourite thing. Um, Does
0: that normally happen for you early on or it's really like through
1: the three... Uh, drafts that you're going through I would say it's normally when we're talking through the second draft Mm -hmm. so I think maybe the author's made a change and I read it and I'm like this is incredible (laughs) Uh, and then they're really happy and I'm really happy and then we're all happy um yeah (laughs) Sophie what's come over me this morning (laughs) it's okay
0: it's a good day to record them (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode of Make It Make Sense with Sreka and Tharaman, I would love if you would rate, review or subscribe to the podcast to help others find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Make It Make Sense.